Gentlemen, I would uh, like to um, invite you to open your heart to worship, um, to worship the King this morning. And um, Jeff, if you'll put um, the Psalm 98 um, up on the board. Je um, Jeff has Psalm 98 um, there, and um, I actually... Um, want to invite you to close your eyes and just allow me to read Psalm 98. And I want to do a kind of guided imagery again this morning, much like we did last week. And I want you to see with the eyes of your heart uh, what is in this Psalm. So I just invite you to close your eyes and listen to Psalm 98. Sing to God a brand new song. He's made a world of wonders. He rolled up his sleeves. He set things right. God made history with salvation. He showed the world what he could do. He remembered to love us, a bonus to his dear family Israel, indefatable love. The whole earth comes to attention. Look, God's work of salvation. Shout your praises to God, everybody. Let loose and sing. Strike up the band, round up an orchestra to play for God, add on a hundred-voice choir, feature trumpets and big trombones, fill the air with praises to King God. Let the sea and its fish give a round of applause with everything living on earth joining in. Let ocean breakers call out encore and mountains harmonize the finale, a tribute to God when he comes, when he comes to set the earth right. He'll straighten out the whole world. He'll put the world right and everyone on it. Amen. Open your eyes. Um. I want you to be attuned this morning to Psalm 98 um, because I want to play um, a song that you, that you will know. You know this song very well. But what I love about music beyond just the um, listening of it is the story behind it. And the story behind Joy to the World is Isaac Watts' rendering of Psalm 98 personally. It's like he sat down um, and set out in his journal to personalize Psalm 98. Um, in the 18th century, early 1700s, pretty much all that the British church, Scottish church sang were psalms. And to this day, the very conservative Scottish churches and even some 
conservative Presbyterian churches only sing psalms. And Isaac Watts thought, you know, I'd like to write some updated music. And I remember having a worship class at seminary, and uh, uh, we talking about how every generation develops its own worship music. You know, Chris Tomlin, you know, Jeremy Camp. Um, and yet, the anchor of our praise is the Psalms. And Isaac Watts, in 1719, he published a unique hymnal, one in which he had translated, interpreted, and paraphrased the Old Testament Psalms through the eyes of the New Testament faith. And he called it the Psalms of David imitated in the language of the New Testament. And he took various Psalms, he studied them from the perspective of Jesus and the New Testament, and he then formed them into verses for singing. Quote, Isaac Watts says this, I have rather expressed myself as I may suppose David would have done if he lived in the days of Christianity, Watts explained. And by this means, perhaps I have sometimes hit upon the true intent of the Spirit of God in those verses farther and clearer than David himself could ever discover. We actually know more than David did in a certain sense. So the song that we have sung all of our lives, pretty much everybody in this room, is Joy to the World, and it's Isaac Watts' rendering of Psalm 98. May you hear it clearer and deeper and even more worshipful than ever before.
Be on the alert, stand firm in your faith, act like men, be strong. The words from 1 Corinthians 16, 13. On the road to Christmas, David to Jesus. Follow with me as we read this introductory paragraph there on your notes. The story of David as Israel's king is a story of the gospel because we learn about our need for a good leader, a good king in whom we can find blessing and flourish. While there is death through Saul, there is resurrection and life in David. And similarly, while there is death in our own power and in the flesh, there is certainly life in King Jesus. Luke 1, 32 and 33 says of King Jesus in the context of the angel appearing to Mary, She was thoroughly shaken, wondering what was behind a greeting like that. But the angel assured her, Mary, you have nothing to fear. God has a surprise for you. You will become pregnant and give birth to a son and call his name Jesus. He will be great, be called son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will rule Jacob's house forever, no end ever to his kingdom. The king of David pointing to King Jesus. 
Christmas, a tale of two kings. Gentlemen, my my hope and my prayer um, from uh, what we started last week in this kind of mini series on David to Jesus and and even this morning and, and next week, and by the way, next week is Father, Son, um, Daughter Day. So fathers, bring your sons and your daughters, and we're glad to have one in, in the room this morning. You can come back next week, too, because Dad got it wrong, but that's okay. We're not, we're not going to embarrass him because we love your dad very much, but so I hope you'll come back. Um, but, you know... I hope that just from our time together, these three weeks leading up to Christmas, will attune your heart um, to the most worshipful, Jesus-honoring Christmas you've ever had. It truly saddens me at how secularized Christmas is all around us. You see it. I see it. You can't deny it. It's, it's just unbelievable. Um, how much has changed in my years and your years on this earth. Uh, and it seems to not be headed in a good direction, does it? And, and it saddens me when I hear um, friends of mine, friends of yours say, I hate Christmas. Well, please, please kind of get the uh, kudzu off the barn when you say that, so to speak, you know. Uh, I understand I hate kudzu too. You know, there's weeds in the garden and there's a part that I can understand that I hate Christmas, but please don't burn down the barn because there's some kudzu on it. If you follow what I'm saying in a good old East Tennessee metaphor, it's like, wow, Jesus has come. Jesus has come. You know, I, I mentioned to you last week that Hallmark movies are um, a major part of my family. Yes, pray for us. And um, I wanted, um, I can't wait to share this with Carla and my girls. This is the Dr. Pepper drinking game of Hallmark movies. So, um what you can do is get you a case of Dr. Pepper, um, and then you take a drink while you're watching Hallmark movies if the following happens. Okay. So the first thing is if the camera pans over New York City or Los Angeles skyline, take a drink. Um if the lead actress's character is named Eve, Holly, Joy, or Noel, and take two sips if her last name is Claus or Kringle. Uh, take a drink if the main character works as a journalist, baker, or corporate businesswoman, and two sips if any of those are a family business, and three sips if that company is being threatened in any way by a large corporation. Hallmark movies. Take a drink if the leading lady is heading to a small town on assignment during the holidays and two sips if it's her hometown and take a shot if she's also up for promotion. 
take a drink if the star has a Grinch-like boss who doesn't get the holidays? Take a drink. Um, just a little humor this morning, gentlemen. And again, drink Dr. Pepper. I want you to take your pen, and I've got three questions for you. Preparing our heart for Christmas, for worship. First question I would ask you, what's your favorite story of David, King David? Again, as I mentioned to you last week, more uh, space has been given in Scripture to David uh, than uh, uh, anybody else except Jesus. Uh, the story of David, you know, Goliath, Bathsheba, Mephibosheth, uh, running from Saul, being killed by, uh, trying to be killed by Saul, what, uh, dancing um, in worship. What's your favorite story of David? God's given us the stories of David in order to open our hearts to Jesus. Those are real stories, good stories. Tell our kids, our grandkids. Second question that I would ask you is, who pointed you to Jesus? Who would you say, as you look back on your life, was most influential? Some of you will say your grandmama. That's cool. You may still have uh, grandma's Bible. A pastor, an uncle, a mentor, a friend. A fraternity brother. Well, uh, you know. Who pointed you to Jesus? God's given us David to help us see Jesus. And then finally, the question I would ask you, the third question is, how will you worship Jesus this Christmas? How will you attune your heart? What, what are you going to do? Last week, I introduced the idea to you of reading through the Psalms. Um, you know, 150 Psalms, 15 or so days, um, 10 Psalm or so. I've been reading. I'm, I've been on my plan. I'm reading through the Psalms. I have to tell you, uh, I, I introduced the same idea on Friday morning in our Fairhope group. And I, and I said to one of our, uh, I said to the group and one of our guys, uh, after I said, read 10 Psalms uh, a day, so my goodness, 10 Psalms a day. That's a lot. That's depressing me right now. Okay. Well then read one. Okay. We don't want to overload you on Bible reading. <laughs> it's like, dude, really? I don't think I'd have told that, you know? Okay. On the road to Jesus. Here's, here's what it looks like. Again, we start with David. God's full intent is to get us to Jesus. And the journey that God sends us on, first of all, is he, is he introduces uh, David uh, in Jesus through this title, Son of David. 
Now, those of you that know anything about your Bible, you, you know that uh, Matthew is the gospel that is especially written um, to Jews. So it is full of Jewish symbolism ideas. So I want you to turn over to Matthew uh, chapter 22. And um, I'm going to read this passage on Jesus having a conversation with these religious leaders. Now, again, keep in mind, these are, these are the highest scholars in the Jewish community. Um, they know the scriptures backwards and forwards. Matthew 22 says this, as the Pharisees were regrouping, Jesus caught them off balance with his own test question. What do you think about the Christ or about the Messiah? Whose son is he? And uh, they were eager. You know, Bible trivia just broke out in the parking lot, Joe. So they're ready. And, and so they said, David's son, that's the Messiah. He's going to be a descendant of David. And Jesus replied, well, if the Christ is David's son, how do you explain that David, under inspiration, named Christ his master? And then he quotes the psalm. God said to my master, sit here at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. He's worshiping the Messiah, David is. Now, if David calls him master, how can he at the same time be his son? Put him in a double bind. That stumped them, literalists that they were, and unwilling to risk losing face again in one of these public verbal exchanges, they quit asking questions for good. Now, if you're a Bible underliner and you're reading from the message, I don't know what it's, uh, how that phrase is translated in your study Bible, but when you start exercising that phrase, they quit asking questions for good. You're toast. We might as well throw dirt on you. A mentor of mine helped me to understand this years ago. He said, uh, you never grow beyond your questions. So when you think you got all the answers, um, and you stop asking questions and stop being uh, puzzled by the mysteries of God, and you have to have all the answers in order to trust God, and then you think you've got all the answers, and so you've got God figured out, and you stop asking questions, dude, not good, not good. It's arrogant. It's prideful. That's what happened to the Pharisees. But Jesus is pointing them to how the son of David is a messianic phrase. Two blind men in Matthew 9, 27 called Jesus son of David. After Jesus performed a miraculous healing, the crowd wondered if Jesus could be David's son. Matthew 15, 22, a Canaanite woman who wanted her daughter healed used this title of Jesus, son of David, he, she called him. In Matthew 20, verse 30, in Jericho, two blind men called out to Jesus, Son of David, 
son of David. Matthew 21, verse 5, in the temple in Jerusalem, the people addressed Jesus as David's son. And in 21, 19, when Jesus entered Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, they yelled, son of David, son of David, son of David. The promise that God gave us through David is that this Messiah, this Jesus, is going to come through his lineage. And so there's such a strong tie of Jesus coming to David. And the more we can understand the pictures that God has given us through the life of David, the clearer we see King Jesus. It's all about coming home. Here's a picture of coming home. Uh, a quick, take your time, but what would you want to say to him at Christmas time, to your husband? Um, Justin, we love you. We miss you. The boys are going very fast. <laughs> I'm sorry you have to miss it. Um, Merry Christmas. This is love it. Just turn around. Heaven knows it's high time. I've been waiting. On my own too long. And when you hold me like you did, feel so right. Oh, now start to forget how my heart gets torn when that hood gets thrown. Feel it like Turning circles time again, cut like a knife. Oh, now, if you love me, got to know for sure. It takes something more this time. Sweet, sweet lies are oh, now Before I open up my house And fall Losing all control Everything inside my soul When you kiss me On the midnight Sweet, sweet may I fly Singing in this is loving at last. Never gets old. Never gets old. I could watch those all day. We want to be home for Christmas and welcoming those that we love home. Just a picture of Jesus coming to earth, and you're never going to get home to your true home unless you come through the door of Jesus. It's as simple as that.
I want you to understand that clearly, so much so that it brings you to your knees. Uh, I had the privilege of attending a, um, um, a type of memorial service. It wasn't a funeral, but it was a memorial service for good friends who have moved to Fairhope, Bob and Dina Stewart. The Balches are mentors of ours, and Dave lost his battle with cancer um, three years ago, coming up in May. And Bob and Dina uh, came to the Lord uh, through our executive ministries um, ministry in Philadelphia years ago and, and um, um, have just been warriors for Jesus um, for almost um, 40, over 40 years. Uh, in February, they would have been married 50 years. Uh, Dina uh, grew up Jewish, um, a little Jewish princess in Philadelphia. And Bob grew up as a North England, um, a, a New England uh, Catholic. And uh, they met, and when they came to the Lord, Bob was an attorney, and he left his practice and went to Princeton Seminary and has been a Presbyterian pastor all these years. And Dina, uh, being Jewish as she is, she's a fundraiser for Covenant Seminary. She's the director of development for uh, uh, Covenant Seminary. Godly, godly people. And during the service, uh, Dina just spoke up. It was more just a sharing time of telling stories of how Bob had had an impact on so many. And, uh, you know, Dina was sharing about Bob, and she said, you know, we've lived in like 27 houses or something. They've moved all over the country. And she said, you know, everybody always asked me what my favorite home was that I lived in. And she said, my home was always wherever Bob was, is my home. And then she said, and that's still true today, because Bob's in heaven. That's your true home. That's your true home. Where's your heart? Don't get it. Don't let it get distracted by all the crazy Christmas secularism. Um. Jesus has come to earth. King David points us that way. Now, now let's take a journey through David's life. This is amazing. First of all, God gives us this crazy story of Goliath. And Goliath is this nine-foot giant with bronze weaponry, armor, and bronze is a symbol of judgment in Scripture. And so here is Goliath accusing and taunting Israel, nine feet. Nothing could be a more imposing um, figure. My old Miss buddies and my uh, Mississippi State buddies would love to have that guy playing defensive end. For that matter, Tennessee would love to have him playing anywhere. You know? It's like nine feet tall, Goliath. Now, here's the important piece about Goliath. Don't miss the symbolism of Goliath's story because it's really the gospel. Because it's like Goliath symbolizes all that wars against us. 
He is the personification of Satan's attack on my heart. Don't miss that. You've told that story to your kids and to your grandkids, and you've missed the gospel because Goliath kept taunting the Israelites, and he said, all right, you can only send one man, and if he defeats me, then I'll bow my knee, and all of my army will bow their knee. But if I defeat him, you will be the Philistines' slave, one-on-one. Gentlemen, that's the gospel. Because what God has given us through this story is one representative. One representative. David became that representative in order to defeat Goliath. And in so doing, he became a picture of Jesus to us. There is only one person that can defeat the sin in your life, and his name is Jesus. Your good works, your good morals, all that you did, your granddaddy did, your grandmama did, all of that, mm -mm, one person. And David was that one person for Israel. Jesus is that one person for you and me. Isn't that cool that God gives us that story? And we've just been telling that, you know, because it's kind of fun and it's, you know, the, uh, uh, the runt uh, defeats the, uh, the big guy, you know, it's the underdog wins. Dude, don't miss the gospel. It's much more than that. And then it's the idea of that he was sent by the father. David's father, Jesse, sent him to the battlefield and told David to check on what was going on. And in so doing, he was fully engaged in the battle and became the instrument that God used to bring healing to the whole nation. In the right time, Scripture tells us, God the Father sent Jesus. Jesus was sent by the Father. Now, don't miss that. That's hugely significant. Sent by the Father to be our advocate. You could not do what Jesus has done. Wow. And it was initiated by a good father. He was rejected by brothers. David shows up on the battlefield. He's the runt of his family in Eliab. Um, his oldest brother just starts criticizing him. What are you doing here? You have no business on the battlefield. And Jesus experienced the same thing. His brothers, Peter, rejected him. Judas betrayed him. Just like David, Jesus 
experienced, those that seemed to be closest to him would reject him. And then his past was an important part of the journey. David was able to step out against the enemy because he had learned from previous experiences. Before he killed Goliath, he killed a lion and a bear. And uh, Scripture says in Hebrews that Jesus went through a process of learning to trust God through the things that he suffered. That's intended to be an encouragement to you and me in that every circumstance and every relationship involved in your life and in my life is intended to be a tool in God's hand to elicit and evoke trust and strengthen our faith muscle. I'm going to keep trusting you. I'm going to keep trusting you. I'm going to keep trusting you. And then it says this, um, victory, his is ours. That when David won, the whole nation won. And it's a picture, once again, of the gospel. When Jesus died and defeated Satan, he did that on your behalf and on my behalf. It's our only hope. Now, I want you to turn over to Romans chapter 5. There's lots of scripture that I don't have time to go through, but I hope that you'll use this handout as a resource. But Romans chapter 5, at the end of the chapter, says this. I love this passage. This is a passage, uh, those of you who have been to uh, deer camp and fish camp, we always read this passage. Romans 5. Here it is in a nutshell. Just as one person did it wrong and got us in all this trouble with sin and death, another person did it right and got us out of it. You see what's being said? One person got us into this, Adam is who he's talking about. One person got us out. In the story of David, Goliath is the symbol of all that's evil, and David got us out of that. Jesus got us all out of that which Adam created. But more than just setting us out of trouble, he got us into life. One man said no to God and put many people in the wrong. The one man said yes to God and put many in the right. Victory in Jesus. Only way. And all that passing laws against sin did was produce more lawbreakers. All that, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do that. Trying to make yourself better through a moral code uh, doesn't work. But sin didn't and doesn't have a chance in competition with the aggressive forgiveness we call grace. When it's sin versus grace, grace wins hands down. All sin can do is threaten us with death 
And that's the end of it. Grace, because God is putting everything together again through the Messiah, invites us into life, a life that goes on and on and on, world without end. One man gives victory to all. It's our only hope, not making yourself better. And then he gives us this picture of a king in exile, that David was on the run. He was told that he would be king, but Saul continued to hold the power of the throne. And so David was on the run for years, and in that time, Saul attempted to kill him seven times. And David survive that. Jesus was rejected by his own people. It's a, peop- it's, it's a picture of a king who was not accepted by his own people. Colossians 2, verse 15, says this. He stripped all the spiritual tyrants in the universe of their sham authority at the cross and marched them naked through the streets. Jesus made every other attempt to be approved by God look like a sham. Jesus, one man. 1 Samuel chapter 22 then really invites us into a self-assessment. This all points us to Jesus, but then the final question, and again, we don't grow unless we're asking questions, and I would ask you, where are you? And in the story of David, he gives us a picture of the kind of people that David embraced and therefore Jesus embraces. But this, is, this is such a great passage. This is the passage of David hiding in the cave of Adullam. And uh, Roan and the group that meets on Friday at Corner Bakery um, have adopted this passage as kind of their watchword. And you guys read this every week, don't you, Roan? Which is cool. Listen to this. 1 Samuel chapter 22. So David got away and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and others associated with his family heard where he was, they came down and joined him. Not only that, but all who were down on their luck came around. Wow. Thanks, God, for sending me some teammates. All who were down on their luck. Really? Yeah, losers. Wow. Great. And vagrants and misfits of all sorts. And David became their leader. Now, let's break this down in Hebrew. Losers is probably translated in your Bible, in your study Bible as distress, and the Hebrew word there is zuk, Z-U-K. It literally means those who are under pressure, under stress, high anxiety. You know, guys sitting around kind of, you know, having, having panic attacks. Wow, I can, I can really trust that guy, you know? 
as a Presbyterian minister friend of mine uh, said years ago, there's nothing that God, the Holy Spirit, um, a little uh, rock music and some good medication can't handle. And it's like, dude, this is the guy you want to medicate. Okay, so that's the losers. Oh, how about the vagrants? The Hebrew word there is nashah, N-A-S-H-A-R-H. And it literally means uh, those who have a number of creditors. No money. No money. We used to have this kid in junior high. We call him the mooch. Because, dude, you couldn't be eating a hamburger, a hot dog. Hey, I got dibs on that, you know. And he would eat the last part of your hamburger, you know. We found out later he had more money than the rest than any of us. He was a moocher, you know. And it's like these guys sitting around were moochers. They had no money. Creditors. And then finally, wow, as if it couldn't get any worse, the misfits, the disconnected. Now, again, the Hebrew word there is mar, M-A-R-R, mar nefesh. And it means bitter of soul, wronged or mistreated. You know, the guys who complain all the time. Isn't that a a barrel of monkeys? You know, you're sitting around and the guys always bitching and moaning about how life is, you know, they got all the power and it's them and it's they. Oh, I hate those guys. Complain, complain, complain. Dude, this was David's army. Losers, vagrants, and misfits. Thank you, Jesus. God's given us this story to help you and I understand that in all your brokenness and your craziness and my craziness, we're accepted in Jesus. Isn't that cool? Christmas. He came and dwelt among us. Came. Don't miss Christmas. You want to be home for Christmas? Worship Jesus. Read through the Psalms. Listen to the music of Christmas. Hear the voice of God. Open your heart. Bow your knee. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you so much for the stories that invite us uh, into your arms, that awaken our heart to who we are, who you have made us, who you intended us to be. Help us uh, be clear on that, um, especially now during this time of year. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.